Welcome everybody, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development. I'm delighted that we're here today for another installment of our Veterans Stories Difference Makers. And we've got Ray Gaster with us. Hi, Ray. Good morning, how are you doing? Great to have you with us. I really appreciate you giving your Good time. You're a veteran, you're a business person, and um, I think you've got a lot to share with us today. So why don't you first of all tell us about your time in the military and thank you for your service. And I'd love to hear your story about the, how you came to be in the military and what your service was like. Well, how I came, I got a notice from Uncle Sam that said he wanted me. <laughs> so that was fairly, that was an easy choice, so to speak. Um, right. I, was, I was going to school at night and I had had a couple of deferments. This was back in 1966, which is last century. So that's been a while ago. And uh, so they weren't, uh, I think at that point, you had to carry an ungodly amount. You had to be married and probably had a kid and then you could get out of the draft. I was single. And so I went into the service, into the U.S. Army. And, um, and, and during basic, I went ahead and I applied for OCS. And went to OCS, became uh, about, it was about a year and a day from when I was drafted, I got my commission as a second lieutenant in the infantry. And while I was in there going through OCS, officer candidate school, I applied for flight school. A lot of those guys um, in, in my company, um, in my OCS company, most of them were gung-ho. They wanted to be airborne ranger. And I, I thought I didn't want to jump out of a helicopter and aircraft, I'd rather fly the thing. So <laughs> I applied for it. And after a probably about six months of uh, ground duty here in the States, working with troops, preparing them to go to Vietnam, I got orders to go to the flight school. And that was my first trip to Texas. And it's a great state, I want to tell you that. I really enjoyed it. We were out at Mineral Wells and went through flight school in the first phase. And uh, then the second phase brought me over to Hunter Army Airfield here in Savannah, Georgia. That's how I got established here in Savannah. And uh, finished up here. I met my first wife here and got married and had a couple kids. And, um, you know, while well, I finished school, I was only in the service a little over five and a half years. When I got out, I was uh, a captain, uh, infantry. Back in those days, they didn't have an aviation uh, I went to Vietnam, and while in Vietnam, I served with the 1st Air Cav, and I flew Chinook helicopters, the CH-47s, which uh, I called were basically a truck driver in the sky. Uh, we were hauling what we call ash and trash going on out and supporting all the fire bases out in the remote areas. We were their lifeline because there weren't any right. roads or anything. So got um, flew a lot of hours earned 32 air medals for the hours that I flew and uh, missions that I took and everything. So mm. it was a good accomplishment and come back home. I was, um, as I say, you know, I came home whole and healthy and I was happy about that. And mm. after, uh, spent a little bit of time in the service, started going to school. I wanted to get my degree and got the degree and that took me into the um, forest products industry. My first job after I graduated, uh, which was in 1971, with, with, uh, was with Georgia Pacific. So this last December marked 50 years in the forest products industry of one way or the other. At that wow. time, was, so that was my beginning into wood products, you might say. And so the flying that you learned in the service, did you carry that on into civilian life? Uh, not 
No, not really. Um, I think, um, like a lot of people, you get burned out on that. And uh, I think whenever I felt like when I was in Vietnam, I had that helicopter strapped to my back. There were some months I got over 150 hours, which doesn't sound like much. But when you go into the pre-flight, the post-flight, everything else, you're getting up at three or four in the morning, going on out and checking your aircraft with a flashlight and taking off at dawn. And then you're coming back at dusk. And <laughs> so it was they were long days, you know, and they were 24 seven sometimes because of the our, our division. The first air cab was engaged all the time. They uh, there was no resting. So um, and they put us into the hottest areas that there were. And like I say, I managed to survive it. And I'm very blessed to have come out of it. Um, but I didn't fly afterwards. Uh, I think at one point around 2000, year 2000, I started taking flying lessons. But uh, my wife <laughs> and I decided to buy a home instead. Uh, so rather than me going out and buying a small aircraft and doing all that, punching holes in the clouds we decided that maybe we'd have built a nice house and big lot and everything so there went my uh there went my piggy bank for my aircraft and <laughs> flying when you say that you flew into the hottest zones what does that mean well they were always engaged you know there wasn't a matter well well i mean not not 24 7 in the sense that every time i went in there was a firefight but uh, the cab was always on the offensive. They were not a defensive. So they would be opening up if there was an area generally where the Ho Chi Minh Trail came into Vietnam, they would go and build a fire base right in the middle of the thing. And so it's sort of like, hey, you guys are have to go around us because you're not coming through us. So you'd be flying in um, the equipment to clear the area. You'd be flying in the howitzers, flying in the ammunition all the support that you had there so that they could build this fire base um, so that they could interdict um, uh, the North Vietnamese. And because basically we were, we weren't fighting Viet Cong. It was all NVA regulars and uh, just pouring into South Vietnam. And so the thing was, we were going to stop them and wherever they were coming mm -hmm. in, we were going to stop them. Initially we were up there in i -Corps, which is up by the DMZ and probably the last eight or nine months of my uh, service over there, we were in War Zone D, which is north of Saigon, covering that area along there. In fact, the, after I came back, about six months later is when um, the cab went in, made the incursion in Cambodia to clean out all the stuff that was across the border. Because we knew it was all there, but once again, uh, we were fighting. Well, well, the rules were we didn't cross the border until I think finally it was President Nixon decided to go in there and clean it out a little bit. So when you transition from the military life into civilian life, what sort of support or things made the difference for you to help that to happen? Well, I was fortunate probably versus a lot of the younger, um, you know, personnel at that time. You know, the average age, I think, in Vietnam was 19 or under. When I was drafted, I was 23 years old. So mm -hmm. I'd already been working in the civilian world, mainly in an office marketing or sales area for, what, uh, six years, maybe seven years, right. on and off, and, and go, trying to get my degree at night, you know, going to school and all the rest of that. I couldn't afford to go full time or 
they didn't have those scholarships like they have nowadays. You either you either had the money or you you work someplace. And and where I was originally from the Cleveland, Ohio area, and a lot of companies up there, they had a co-op. Uh, there were several colleges that were co-op. They were five years, and they would pay for your education while you worked for them. So mm. uh, that was a pretty good deal. I had worked for two companies that did that. And so it got me going. And I have a BA in business administration, management, marketing, which I had. What I got, that's what I finished up with here in Savannah. So, um, but I think for a lot of them, um, you know, I, I remember whenever I was a, uh, after I got on OCS and we were an infantry um, division out in Fort Carson, the 5th Me- Mechanized Division, we were training troops to go over to Vietnam and later they put one or two brigades over there. And so I was out, uh, I was a platoon leader initially. Uh, we got a, a captain or a, a new commanding officer and he made me XO because I like being out playing in the field and camping out, you know, come in on Monday, everybody saddles up, we were mechanized and then we go out on maneuvers and live. Then we were training, um, I forget what the uh, what they called that. But anyhow, we were preparing the troops to go to Vietnam. So we started with the squad. We started then. Then it was the platoon. Then it was the company. And these were live fire exercises uh, mm. like, like they do. You know, you, you want to make sure all you, you never have enough training. It, it's just the way it is. So uh, one of the things that I learned, valuable lessons that I had in the service. But we were basically training the troops and preparing them for a deployment over to Vietnam. And uh, then I got orders to go to flight school after about six months of doing that. But, uh, and I think that a lot of the other young people that I saw, you know, the everyday soldiers, um, they were neither prepared for the military or what I'd say that they were prepared for probably what was gonna come later on. Um, the training was was good, um, but when you have a, 18, 19, 17, well, I don't know if they were 17. I think they were 18, 19 year old that uh, basically all of a sudden here he is in a uniform and you're teaching him rudiments like keeping your footlocker straight, making your bed. Uh, Now we're going to go on out here. We're going to the range. We're going to do this. Um, So, uh, you know, they were going through some things in life that probably someone like myself that was four or five years older had already been through mm. that. And they uh, they didn't have the maturity that someone that would be right. 21, 22 or 23. And I think that's why, um, you know, a lot of veterans, especially the younger ones uh, that go into this and then they get out after three or four years or they go into battle, they have issues afterwards, you know, adjusting. It sounds like you didn't have the or many of the challenges that others talk about when you transitioned into civilian life. Were there any um, persistent issues for yourself? You mean like PS? Was that right? PTSD? PTSD. PST. I get it backwards. Um, Not really. I think the only thing um, is when I first came back from Vietnam. a dog would knock over trash cans and it sounded like incoming rounds hitting the runway, you know, because we had right. a metal runway or something like that. And you wake up a cold sweat or something. And that, um, uh, you know, uh, there were some flashes like that. But after that, um, 
I, I think most people that know me would say Ray Gaster is a driven person. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to, um, you know, while I was stationed here in Savannah at Hunter Army Airfield, um, I had um, a slot there with the um, public information office. And then also I was keeping up my flight time. And that's because I worked in marketing before and I worked for a newspaper at one time. Uh, selling news, um, you know, ads and such. So I got into the PIO and writing a little bit. And um, I started night school. So my main focus was, like, I haven't got time to screw around with anything, except I, I, I determined when I was going to get out. And then I was going to, I was going to finish up full time, get my degree, and then I'm going to get into the job market. That's what I, my whole focus was on that. And Vietnam, I left that pretty much behind. Um, uh, you talk with other people, you compare war stories, uh, but beyond that, um, it was, it, it happened to be a stage in my life and sort of like, Hey, you know, I got a lot of years in front of me. I, I can't relive the past. I'm, I'm, I'm a forward future looking guy. And, mm. and that's what I tried to focus in on. You seem to have a very clear purpose, direction, goal focused, quite resilient and do you think that the, having that type of personality enables you to make that transition into civilian life and move on and rebuild or redirect? Does it make it much easier considering some of the things that people experience and those people that you were with experienced during their service? Well, it's not easy, first of all. Uh, you, I, I think it comes down to, it comes down to your focus and, um, you know, bad things happen to good people all the time. And mm -hmm. um, you, you just can't. And I've learned, in fact, I was probably harsh on things or many. Now, I mean, I, you know, over the years, you, I've learned that you've got to get on with your life. And once again, after it happens, sometimes there are things that you can do to correct it. But uh, you have bad experiences. And I would say in Nam, um, they were experiences. Um, as I said, I came back whole and in one piece. And to me, that was the most valuable thing that I got out of Vietnam. The experiences, uh, you focused in on what you had to do more than what happened. Then afterwards, you might say you could do the after action report or Maybe after you come back for after 12 months over there, you can start thinking about it and say, my God, I can't believe, you know, some of the stuff that I went through and uh, and we survived it. So um, but once again, I keep history as history uh, and try right. and learn my lessons from that. But I want to focus in on what do I need to be doing now? What's coming up tomorrow? What's next week and what's that? Because we live for the future and that's really where everything gets done, um, you know, going forward. So you're in a different industry than than flying, obviously being in, in lumber and forestry. Are there skills um, that you learned in the military during your time that helped you um, in the industry that you're in now? Absolutely. Uh, I, I can look back. I can take just the basic being a junior officer and working with troops, the first thing is you've got to look after your men and your people. And I will look after my men and women that work for me. 
I mean, you know, it, it's not that we're family. Uh, we're, an, we're a company. We're employing them. But right. their daily task and what happens in their lives, when you hire them, you get all that other stuff comes with them, whether it's on in the job description or not. So, uh, so you got to have concern for them. And then, of course, you want to put mm-hmm. them in a position where they can succeed. And uh, so that's the, probably the, one of the biggest lessons that I learned in the service was the value of your people and work doing everything you can to work with them. I know I, 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 we have a reunion, our company does. And I remember the first time I went there and uh, this was mixed. It wasn't just the, the aviators, you know, the warrants and the commission officers. There were a lot of door gunners and crew chief and everything else. It wasn't that many, I think less than 20 or 25 men. And now swindled down to probably half of that. But in the discussions, I wasn't sure, you know, about these. So we got into stuff and, and of course, uh, <laughs> I've, the thing that made me feel so good and made me want to go back is because I found that through the subordinates there, they really respected the way I treated them when we were in combat and when we were flying and looking out for them and the care that I took in, in flying the aircraft and other things. And um, so yeah, I, I got that from my infantry training and um, there's no better uh challenge for personnel management than to lead a rifle platoon. You, you mm. know, all of a sudden, <laughs> this is like nothing else that anybody would could do in their lives, I don't think. Uh, not in any in the business world. You're leading a rifle platoon, their lives and the actions of everybody depends on everybody. And uh, mm. you have got to build a homogeneous group and get them focused in on what your objective is and what how we have to do it. The other big lesson that I learned over there, as I said initially, I was sort of a truck driver in the sky, and I still laugh about that, but um, we're we're a lumber company. But but you know what? We're really in the logistics business. I have, what, 18 or 20 vehicles. Very little material gets picked up. Most of this stuff gets delivered. I learned a lot about logistics and moving stuff and the things mm-hmm. that go wrong and everything. And um, uh, and, that, and that came from going through things that turn out to be crap shows. And you're just wondering, well, how are we going to get this thing going? And that's both as, as, as a, uh, when we would do field maneuvers and with vehicles and equipment out in Fort Carson, you had rain and mud. And then, you know, uh, sometimes um, you just wonder, uh, it, it, it isn't the army that's testing me. I think it's the weather and it's God himself that's testing us and make, you know, to make sure that, you know, we know what we're doing and we're going to get it right. And I think that, uh, in fact, I know that later on in, in my business and as I've evolved, as it's evolved and everything, it's all based down on our ability to deliver goods to job sites and to get it right. And mm. uh, which is very important. So, you know, we just happen to be selling a commodity that's lumber. Uh, my, 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 some of my employees look at me and they scratch their head and think, does the old man know what he's talking about? So, <laughs> but I think I do. You know? So I try and boil it down to the simplest, you might say, the simplest common denominator there. And then if we can take care of those, we can grow into the more complicated 
task. Mm. Ray, from what you've been saying, it, it sounds like the the way that you enter into the military uh, makes a big difference on how you can exit. And some people have different experiences in there as well. You were in war, which may be very different than people that sign up in peacetime and they may be deployed to different bases and they serve, but don't don't see um, a deployment in a war zone. And so the context, I guess, makes a real difference. How you enter makes a difference. What would you say to people if there was some advice you could give people who are transitioning regardless of the background, the context and everything, what are some principles or some practices, something they could put in place to prepare themselves to transition well into civilian life? Well, I think the first thing I would say is that um, you need to be thinking, looking forward, thinking about what you want to do, come up with, if you don't have a plan, set an objective. And, the, hmm. and remember, once you're out of the military, you're out of the military. I think that uh, part of the, I see a problem at times when people are getting ready to be discharged. The military, it's almost like um, they, they want to, um, uh, well, they ask you, have you had any injuries? Have you had anything else? And they build up this. Uh, this thing like, uh, well, you're going to get money for it. Uh, did you ever fall down? Or did you uh, hit down and maybe fracture your leg or you have something else? And everybody's looking for a disability. I won't say everybody, but a lot of people were looking for disabilities. And I've hired, uh, and I, I have a preference for hiring military people. And I've had a few times where I've had some of these guys and you're talking about going to their uh, support group and, um, I think I've talked several of them out of doing that and just saying, stand on your own. Come on. You, you know, you have it. Don't become dependent upon your, your past. When you, when you hook up there, you, I think making a clean break and then getting on with it, take the experience that you've learned, the good and the bad, you know, the bad stuff. You, you learn that if you're in a position of authority, then uh, you could change maybe the rules of the game a little bit. The good stuff, you want to add to that and build up your skills from that. Uh, uh, the, the military is great for what it does. You know, it goes in, it breaks things, it destroys things. It, it protects our country or destroys our enemy. That's what it's supposed to do. The, um, excuse me. So if, if you're in, if you're in strictly a peacetime and you're at a desk or you're out there in the motor pool and all you do is work on vehicles, increase your skill set so that you have value whenever you get out and you want to go get a job. Uh, so the more you can learn on Uncle Sam's dime, the better off <laughs> you are. Uh, so that's right. Yeah. So that use it as you use it to your advantage. And, mm. and even though you may say there's Mickey Mouse BS that you've got to put up with all this other crap at times, learn to overcome that because at some point in time, you're going to be out there on your own. No one's going to be coming in there to tell you, you got to make your bed. You got to do this. You got to do that or anything else. So develop your own skill set. So you're ahead of the game. Mm. And, and I think that for, uh, I've seen some of, you know, 
right now you have a lot of people getting on out and say, well, what's my skill set? Well, <laughs> one of the reasons, in fact, I've had other business people ask me, well, why, um, why should I hire somebody in the military? I said, well, first of all, they've, been, they've done something for two to three years, probably three years or more. Consistently, they've worked for a company. So they've had some stability. The next mm. thing is they know how to get dressed every day, brush their teeth, get themselves cleaned up and do things. So they've been in a repetitive thing and probably they've, so they, so when you ask them to come to work, now we have, you know, we have uh, shirts to wear like in our company, it has our name on it. I don't want to see, you know, uh, I don't want to see the Atlanta Braves or the Atlanta Falcons or Jacksonville Jaguar shirts on any of my employees when they're on the clock. They understand that, you know, we're the brand, and, and I use the example when we have an introduction meeting. I said, if you saw someone getting out of a truck wearing a brown shirt and slacks, what company they work for? They said, oh, UPS. I said, well, yeah. So, <laughs> so that's why hiring a military person, they understand if you're mm. trying to build a brand and you're trying to get some uniformity and where it's cohesive group of people working for you, the military develops that in them. Now, some people rebel and they might fight it all the time and, you know, and then they get pushed out of the service. But those that that learn to accept it for what it's worth and use it for learning experience, they're way ahead of the game. And I've seen a lot of veterans, you know, like myself, where they've gone on out, they've, they've become entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial, start their own business or go to work for somebody and become the hard charger and the leader within that company in a short mm. period of time. And it's a lot of times because of the skill sets that they picked up, they turned mm. it around to their advantage. Ray, thank you very much for sharing, you know, your time in the military and what you're doing now and also your insights. Some of the things that I wrote down is that bad things just happen to good people sometimes, but setting an objective can really make the difference. Right. Uh, don't be dependent on your past. And also take the opportunity to increase your skill sets and learn so that you can be of value when you exit. Right. Does that sum that up well? I believe so. <laughs> yes, sir. Ray, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate you sharing your story. And we'd like to have you back later on as our series develops and we have more guests. And I'd love to have you on in the future when we have maybe a, a couple of veterans together to discuss experiences, if that's okay with you. Well, I, yes, I, I would be thrilled to come back. Uh, this has been enjoyable to talk about a little bit about my military experience, but then also maybe get the point across that um, that experience, you can use it to your advantage as a veteran. And that's so important. Uh, rather than a liability, it's an advantage. Trust me, it's an advantage. Mm. Well, thank you, Ray. Go okay. well. And if for everybody watching with the show notes directly underneath YouTube or on LinkedIn or wherever you see this recording, you'll see there's the LinkedIn link 
to catch hold of Ray and to communicate with him or connect with him. It's there for you. And also, if you are a veteran, uh, our courses at the University of Applied Research and Development are VA funded and you can access them. And we do have courses that run shorter, enabling you to get your bachelor degree or your master's degree quicker because we recognize your service and the skills that you've learned when you've been in the military as well. So we look forward to seeing you again on another Veteran Stories. Thank you.